Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hello, this is Jack Martin. I'm the CMO for InsureMark. I want to welcome you all to the this episode of the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. This is where elite advisors come to get insight, direction, and inspiration to break through in their practice to a higher level. And so this episode, we're super excited to have Jonah Berger, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, uh, professor at uh, Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, I, I frankly think uh, possibly the hottest marketing consultant in the United States today, join us to talk about how we can remove barriers as opposed to trying to pushing solutions. So welcome to the podcast, Jonah. Thanks so much for having me. So um, catch our audience up a, a little bit on how, how you got to this point. I mean, what, in, in obviously, you, you spent a fair amount of time studying marketing in, in a lot of different ways. You've got a, lot, a number of best-selling books. Uh, how, did, how did Catalyst come about? How did, you, how did you get to this point? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So um, uh, a number of years ago, my, my life changed a little bit. I, I used to be um, basically a, a pure academic um, I was teaching at the Wharton School. I spent, you know, 95% of my time doing teaching and research and a little bit uh, of consulting or speaking here and there. Um, uh, but in 2013, I came out with my first book uh, called Contagious, Why Things Catch On. Uh, and it changed my life uh, to some degree. Um, I started getting calls from all sorts of companies and organizations from uh, big Fortune 500 companies like the Googles and Apples and Nikes of the world um, to small startups, ask them to help with a variety uh, of different challenges. It was really exciting for me. Um, I have a PhD in marketing. Obviously, I do a lot of research in marketing, but I didn't have a lot of actual business experience. Um, and so I got to learn a lot about how uh, business was done in a variety of different industries. Um, but as I worked with these different clients, I realized something that was, to me, quite fascinating, which is that all of them had very much the same challenge, which is that all of them had something that they wanted to change. So for the, the marketers or the sort of sales uh, type, type folks, they had a customer or client uh, they wanted to convince or get to come around. Um, uh, you know, employees wanted to change their bosses' minds and leaders wanted to transform organizations. Um, uh, nonprofits wanted to change the world. Startups wanted to change industries. But I realized that many times the approaches they were using weren't working. Right? They were pushing, they were pressuring, they were cajoling, trying to get people to come around and, and it wasn't happening. And so I started wondering, well, could there be a better way? Could there be a better way to change minds and drive action, not by pushing, but by, by doing something else? And, and that's really what was the impetus for this, this new book, The Catalyst. So um, one of the buzz uh, concepts in, in financial services today is behavioral finance. So how does what you're talking about differ from, you know, what our advisors might've been exposed to with respect to behavioral finance? Yeah. You know, I have some colleagues that do some really exciting work uh, in behavioral finance. Um, and I, uh, I love that the area is getting more attention. Obviously behavioral science has been around for a long time. And so it's, it's good that uh, folks with more of an economic or finance bent have, have finally started to realize that, wait, you know, there's some human beings uh, un underneath some of these decisions. And, and I think a lot of that work is about sort of biases 
uh, in decision making, right? People don't always do what rational economics would suggest that they do. Instead, they have some biases. Um, they seem to be acting in irrational ways, though, though sometimes uh, predictably so. Um, and in some ways, the catalyst relates to that, right? If, if, if the, the key insight is that people um, uh, are driven by underlying motives um, uh, and psychological drivers of behavior, then yes, they're very much related. Um, the, the point, though, is, is a little bit different. Um, I'm not talking about biases necessarily in decision-making. I'm talking about barriers um, that often prevent people from moving forward. So, you know, usually when we think about changing people's minds, we think about providing more information, more facts, more figures, more reasons. Um, I do a lot of work with financial advisors and, um, you know, we think, okay, well, we'll have these, uh, whether it's quarterly or, um, you know, twice yearly meetings with our, um, with our clients, we'll sort of tell them why we think they should do what we want them to do. We'll sort of, you know, send them a long PDF document with lots of information. We'll assume they read through it all. And, and then if they don't, we'll just push them a little bit more and, and they'll go in the right direction. Um, but as uh, your listeners are probably quite aware, right, often pushing doesn't really work. Right? You know, the more we push people, the more they dig in their heels, uh, the more they resist, the more they push back against what we wanted them to do in, in the first place. And so really, rather than pushing, we've got to identify the barriers to change and figure out how to mitigate them. Right. You know, too often we think, well, if we just push people, they'll go along. But if we don't figure out, well, why haven't they changed in the first place? It's going to be really hard to get them to move. Right. Often we think it's informational. Oh, if I just give someone more information, they'll come around, but that's not often the, the barrier, right? Often people have all the information and they're still not interested. And so we need to do a better job of finding the root, right? What's the underlying cause or, or barrier obstacle that's in, in the way? When, when you go to a doctor's office, for example, the doctor doesn't start by saying, well, you know, let me put a cast on your leg. The doctor starts by saying, let me understand the problem. And only once I understand the problem, can I prescribe the best solution? And, and I think the same thing is here. We need to do a better job of understanding um, uh, the, the psychological drivers and barriers uh, of the prospects and clients that we have and use that understanding to help them move in the right direction. So that that, that covers a, a lot of territory. Let, let, let's stop for a second and unpack that. So as a financial advisor, if, if acknowledging the fact that, you know, more more reports, more data, more graphs, more charts, is it going to accomplish the objective? What, how should I, what, what should my mindset be as I go in to, let's say, a, a, an initial discovery meeting with a client? How, how should my, what, what should, in golf, we call them swing thoughts. What should the advisor's swing thoughts be for um, that, that initial discovery meeting? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I interviewed some amazing folks in, in writing this book. So obviously, you know, top selling salespeople and transformational leaders, but also some more un, unusual individuals. So I talked to hostage negotiators and substance abuse counselors and, and parenting experts, which depending on if you have a two-year-old at home, may be the most difficult uh, mind uh, to change out there. Um, again and again, uh, they talked about the same five key barriers, not exactly in the same words, um, not using the same terms. But the same five underlying things uh, often got in the way of change. And so in the Catalyst, I put them in a framework uh, called the REDUCE framework. That stands for reactants. It's an acronym. So R-E-D-U and then C-E. Uh, R is reactants. E is endowment. D is distance. U is uncertainty. Uh, C-E is corroborating evidence. Each of these barriers often come up when we're trying to, to get people to, to change. And in that meeting, you just, you just sort of laid out, you know, to me, 
one of the common barriers is actually the same issue that that hostage negotiators uh, often often face. Um, and I was talking to sort of a, a seasoned negotiator, and he was noting that you know often novice negotiators, the first thing they try to do is jump to influence, and that makes sense, right? You know, you want someone to do something, you you jump right to influence. So the hostage negotiator will you know get on the scene and say, "Come out with your hands up" or "Do X Y Z." They assume that if they just tell people what they want them to do, that the people will come around uh, to do it. And, and he noted, though, that that seasoned negotiators, folks that have been around a while, actually try a different approach. Because the challenge is if you start with influence, right, you haven't built the basis of understanding and connection um, and, uh, and empathy to get people to listen to you in the first place. What you really need to start with and what great negotiators start with is they start with understanding, right? They start first by saying, well, who is this person? that I'm trying to change. Why in a negotiating context, why are they here in the first place, right? Why are they holed up in a bank um, uh, you know, uh, with a bunch of hostages? Why are they thinking about committing suicide? What's the underlying reason that's got them there in the first place and using that information to help show them that the best way for that person to get what they want is to actually do what you thought was a good idea in, in the first place. And I think it's a nice analogy for any type of change and including for financial advisors, right? Don't start with, hey, this is the best thing for you, right? Start with understanding. Start by asking questions. Start by uh, figuring out, well, who is this person I'm talking to? What are the challenges that they're wrestling with? What are the reasons they might not want to do what I'm uh, suggesting, right? Um, you know, if I think annuities are a great idea, well, how do they feel about that? And why do they feel that way? And the more I understand about them and the situations that they're in, the more effective I can be at encouraging them both to do what I wanted them to do, but also reach a better outcome for, for both of us. So the, those are great insights. And so, um, the, you know, so, some of this kind of sounds like, you know, old school active listening, right? It's certainly, it's certainly related. Yes. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, listening is a great place to start. It's not, the, not, not enough to, to end there, but a, a great place to start. But I think that the key insight even underneath both of those things is this idea of reactance, right? The more we push people, the more they push back. The more people feel like we're in the driver's seat, right? People like to feel like they have freedom and autonomy. Why did I make a certain choice? Why did I buy a certain product, use a certain service, make a certain decision? I did it because I thought it was a good idea. But the more that we, whether we are advisor, whether we are a peer, whether we are a boss, whether we are a colleague, whatever we are, the more we try to influence someone, the less it's clear that they're in the driver's seat, right? The more they start to feel like, well, wait, maybe I'm not making this decision. Maybe you're making this decision. The more they feel like it's us rather than them, the more this anti-persuasion radar goes off, right? People have this ingrained system where they detect persuasion attempts. <coughs> and the more they feel like someone's trying to persuade them, <coughs> the more they engage in defensive measures to avoid being persuaded, right? They um, avoid the message, they ignore it, or even worse, they counter-argue. They think about all the reasons why what is being suggested is, is a terrible idea. And so rather than pushing, we've really got to do something else. So um, th th there's uh, this dynamic tension between uh, what the objective is for the, the, that the financial advisor has in mind and you know where the, the client potentially sits on a particular issue. So um, how... How do you counsel uh, financial advisors to manage that situation? What what should they guard themselves against 
uh, what what should they be looking for as signals from clients to, to help guide them through that process? Yeah, you know, I, I talk about a number of different strategies, and I'm, I'm happy to share a couple here. You know, one is um, uh, a simple approach I call providing a menu, right? Too often when we want people to do something, we say, hey, you know, this is what I think you should do. And, and then we list all the reasons why they should do it. And the person sitting there listening, but they're not just listening, counter-arguing. They think about all the reasons why that's not a good idea for them. And so at the end, it's not surprising that they're not interested in doing it because they focused on the reasons they don't want to do it, right? If instead we provide a menu, we give them some choice, right? We say, hey, I think you should do X or Y. Which one do you like better, right? Now we've given them a subtly but importantly different job, right? Now they're sitting there going, okay, well, rather than think about what I don't like, which one of these do I like better, right? And because they're focused on which one they like better rather than counter-arguing, they're much more likely to pick one at the end of that interaction. Now, we have to be careful. I'm not suggesting giving people 50 options because that can be overwhelming, <laughs> right? But giving them a limited set of options, a, a somewhat guided choice, helps them figure out, um, uh, helps them stay within the choice set we gave them um, and guides them in, in the right direction. It's not about telling people what to do. It's about guiding them down a path um, and using things like choices as a way to give them back some of that sense of, of freedom and autonomy, putting them back in, in the driver's seat. Gotcha. So at night, I, I shouldn't go to my wife and say, how do you feel about Italian tonight? I probably should say, what do you think, Italian or Thai? <laughs> you know, I, I love that example because it happens so often in my personal life as well, right? I find sometimes when I say, hey, let's do this. Right. Um, I find um, uh, my spouse, often, ah, you know, I don't feel like that. Right. Or even with friends, I say, how about we do this? Oh, you know, we, we did that recently. Right. Whereas if you say, hey, which do you which do you think would be better, this or that? Right. They're much more likely to focus on those options because they feel like they got to choose. Right. And, and no, you're not giving them infinite choice. Right. You're not saying do whatever you want. And you're not saying do only this one thing. You're giving them enough choice to make them feel like they've got that autonomy. Um, and so they feel like they're a participant in that process says that they're much more excited about going. So the, those are the, that's that's a great thought. Um, so how do we, uh, if I'm an advisor, well, well, let me back up. We we serve our, survey and talk to our, our advisors a lot. And we talk to, we survey thousands of advisors every year. And one of the common themes is they struggle with marketing. Um, they struggle to uh, bridge that client acquisition gap to be able to get the kinds of people that they want to work with into their practice and 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 to to become revenue generating clients for them. Right. So um, how do how do we I don't know if generalize is the right word, but how do, how do we broaden the 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 uh, utilization of this strategy? I can see one on one when I can get eyeball to eyeball with my client, and I'm trying to understand you know where their heads at. How do how do I do that across a broad audience so that I'm I'm convincing people they should do business with me? Yeah, I'd say a, a few things here. So, so first, actually, the, the best marketing, the best advertising for for you as an advisor is actually not you, right? It's your existing, it's your existing clients, right? Um, you know, nobody likes to hear people talk about how great they they are themselves, right? If you walk up to someone at a party and they tell you how great they are, you you try to find something else to to do with your time, right? But if um, somebody says, hey, you know, I think you'd really enjoy meeting my friend. This is why they're fantastic. You're interested in meeting that friend, 
right? Because someone else gave a, a recommendation. And so I think the, the first place I would start is think about how to turn those existing customers or clients into advocates, right? How do you get your existing um, clients to tell more people about you? Not just because they like you and think they're, you're great, which they probably do, but because you understand the science of, of word of mouth, right? Um, I find sometimes, um, uh, you know, I have a financial advisor in my own life, um, and I find that sometimes I get off a call with my advisor more confused than, than when I started, right? And um, they use a lot of language and terms and, and things that they understand really well, but I as a layperson may not. Now, not only is that not perfect for, for our relationship, um, but it makes it really hard for me to tell someone else what they said, because if I don't, if I don't understand it myself, um, how am I going to pass it on? And so analogies and stories can be a really great way to help ideas travel. Right. Um, um, uh, uh, you know, I remember someone talking about um, uh, a financial downturn and saying, you know, we're in the fourth inning of a nine inning baseball game or something like those that. And I remember going, oh, OK, well, it takes this thing that I might not otherwise understand and now have a better understanding of sort of it through through analogy, proof by, by analogy. And so thinking about how we communicate ideas, not only just for understanding, but for transmission can be a great way to, to, to turn our existing clients into advocates. Gotcha. And if I'm, uh, you know, everyone's got a website, LinkedIn profile, you know, when you get a referral or, or start talking to new prospects, they're looking at that to see what you're about. So is there something in the messaging that, that I mean, do you say, hey, I'm a financial advisor who loves choices? Uh, you know, how, how do you how do you position yourself? What's the what's the messaging like on that? How do you communicate that you're you're a catalyst kind of advisor? Yeah, well, you know, I would say also, um, most people aren't sitting there going, okay, um, you know, I'm looking at 10 different financial advisors, which one is best? Right, they either have somebody that that's doing a good job but isn't doing a perfect job for them, and so they're thinking about switching, um, or they they don't have anybody, um, uh, and you're trying to attract someone and you know uh, be their first first advisor that they, they've had. And I, I think those situations are, are slightly different. Um, you know, first if it's people that are switching, I think it's really important to understand what their issue was with their existing advisor. Right? Why are they considering moving? Because the more you understand that the more you can show them that how you offer, if, if what you offer fits this way, can sort of solve that need that, that they have. Um, but if it's a person more who this is the, the first advisor that they're looking for, then I think it's more showing them, okay, well, why is working with an advisor um, uh, the, the, a useful strategy? They're not sitting there comparing six different people. So it's not about you being better than someone else. It's about you being better than, than nothing. And I think it's really important to understand sort of the, the choice that people are making and and use that to figure out how to frame yourself. Gotcha. Okay. So um there the in the in, in the preparation for this, we we talked a little bit about this annuity paradox concept. You know, that um the the economists uh are perplexed that even though you know guaranteed income or protected income or annuity income, whatever you want to call it, is is a good idea for some folks, um, that they they don't seem to be uh jumping on the bandwagon at the rate the economist would would predict. Um, so it 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 comes down, I think, to to old uh, prejudices about annuities, old biases about annuities, understandings. So how how would an advisor help a client understand, remove the barriers, 
help them progress through that in your in your mind? Yeah, this actually reminds me a little bit of a, a story from from the book, and and this came from a financial advisor I was I was talking to, and and they were having a problem getting one of their clients to to shift some of their assets from savings to to put it in the market, um, uh, and the client was saying, look, you know, um, uh, if I put it in the market, I could lose money, uh, but if I keep it in savings, you know, I I, I can't lose any money, right? I'm, I'm, savings is is perfect. Um, the market is sort of risky and I'll, I'll stick with what, what I have already. And, and, and it touches on this key concept I talk a lot about in the, in the book of endowment, right? Which is the, the E in the reduced framework. Um, and that's the idea that, you know, when we're getting people to change, we're not just trying to get them to do something new. We're getting them to let go of something old, right? And this is the same challenge switching advisors. They're not just doing something. They have to let go of an old thing. And so attachment to old things is one reason that people are, are, are unwilling to move. And so back to this advisor example, the person was sort of stuck on savings. The advisor was saying, look, you know, the market is better. On average, it'll perform better than savings. The person was saying, I, I don't know. Um, and so finally, the, the advisor basically started a running clock of sorts, counting how much money the person was losing by not putting the, the amount they were suggesting from savings in, into the market. And so first it was only a couple bucks, and then it was a few hundred, and then it was a few thousand dollars. And you know, they, they got to a period of time where they showed this back to the client. They said, look, you know, you've lost this much money by not putting your money in, in the market. Um, and, and the client goes, well, well, what are you talking about? You know, I haven't lost any money. It's all here in my, my savings account. And, and they said, yes, but you would have made this much more money. And so by not doing it, you lost this money by, by not putting it in, in the market. Because at every moment in time, right, it's just a couple, a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there. Um, it, it doesn't seem like very much, but add it up together, right? It actually can make quite, quite a big, uh, a big difference over over time. And and this is something I call highlighting the cost of inaction, right? Often it feels like inaction is costless. Doing nothing is safe, right? Safe, right? I already know the the devil I know is what I'm already doing, and so I should stick with it. Um, whereas new things are risky. But if you can highlight that old things aren't as safe as they might seem, right, uh, you can move people to action. And I'd say the same thing with, with annuities, right? People may be attached to whatever they're doing already. They may feel like that is the safer, best approach. But by highlighting the cost of inaction, you can move them in the right direction. Awesome. So um, as we're wrapping up, what what steps would you suggest to financial advisors uh, to to incorporate what you're talking about in their practice? Where should they start? What should they be? Uh, what should they be doing? How how do they bridge the gap between this podcast and putting it into play? <laughs> yeah, well, um, um, uh, I, I know this was a quick discussion. We we sort of skirted over very briefly, sort of touched on a couple of themes of uh, of the book. But um, there's a bunch of free resources on, on my website, which is just jonaburger.com. Um, there are uh, one pagers they can download. There are guides for changing a, a client uh, or a prospect's mind. Um, uh, and obviously, if those are, are good starters, there's a whole book they, that they can check out. It's available wherever wherever books are sold. But I think the biggest thing to think of uh, for me um, is to stop being so focused on ourselves and the outcome we want to achieve and start identifying barriers. Right? In every aspect, in anything we're trying to change, there are often barriers to change, and too often we have barrier blindness. We've got to become better at identifying those barriers, and then once we understand that reduced framework, using it to, to get rid of them. So what, do you have any um, advice about how we can become better at identifying those barriers? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think the the more we we step back and ask why. So, um, uh, and and I often deal with this when I uh, I have either coaching clients or work with larger organizations. You know, sometimes um, an advisor will will say, "Oh, you know, I had this meeting and a, a prospect said no thanks," or um, you know, I was, uh, I was talking to a startup yesterday and saying, you know, we're doing this big pitch meeting. And I said, I hope it goes well. But even if it doesn't go well, even if we don't get the, you know, it doesn't go through, let's make sure we understand why. Because if we don't understand why something didn't happen or something didn't work, it's going to be really hard to get better, right? Even if someone doesn't pick us, even if they don't take our advice, let's ask nicely, but let's collect the information that allows us to, to improve. And so the more we sort of get to the root, um, if someone doesn't want an annuity, well, why don't they want an annuity? Well, because they're worried about X, Y, Z. Why are they worried about that? Often asking why a couple of times gets us to that more fundamental motivation that allows us to solve the annoying problem. So I just had this image of my two-year-old nephew constantly asking why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Hey, let's get behind the uh, the curtain a little bit. What what are a couple of things that Jonah Berger does when he's not consulting on uh, Catalyst and Contagious that would surprise our audience? Oh wow, um, uh, I am a youth soccer coach. Not not a particularly good one, but um, uh, I am a, uh, a youth soccer coach, um, and I I love uh, learning about almost anything at all. So I'm uh, not a particularly good basketball player, a particularly good cook. Um, but I, I love learning about new things. And um, I think the world is an amazing place if we're, if we're curious and open-minded. So do you think your, your, your youth soccer team is your laboratory? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that they listen to me, but uh, I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrific. Hey, Jonah, thank you very much. And uh, folks, uh, the catalyst is available, as Jonah said, anywhere you can, you can buy books uh, these days. Um Jonah, it's been a, a real pleasure to talk with you. And, and I think our advisors are going to really benefit from asking more whys uh, and, and doing a little bit less uh, numbers pushing. So thank you very much for those insights. We appreciate it. Folks, thanks for joining us today on the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Uh, feel free to share, comment, like the podcast, drop into our Breakthrough Advisor podcast page, check out all the other episodes. Until the next episode, good luck and hope you have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 